Welcome to WIN, the Women in Industry podcast, a production of the Communications Group. Welcome to the Women in Industry podcast, that's WIN for short, brought to you by the Communications Group. I am your host, Lisa Van Hook, Com Group Partner and Director of Client Services, and my regular co-host, Carson Horn is out this week, so I'm thrilled to be joined on this episode by guest co-host Hannah Phillips. Hannah is our WIN podcast producer and also a public relations specialist at the Communications Group. Our guest today is Dr. Chriselle Nash, MD, PhD, MH, CHIE. If you're keeping up again, that's MD, PhD, MH, CHIE. Those are all the letters after Dr. Chriselle Nash's name. She is the Medical Director for Health Equity and Public Programs at Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield. She also calls herself a professional dot connector. I cannot wait for you to get to know her. What an amazing woman. But before we get to hear Dr. Nash's story, I want to remind our listeners that we have dozens and dozens of amazing and inspiring women featured on our women in industry pages on our website, comgroup.com. That's one M C O M group.com. And we are always looking for more women to spotlight. So nominate that amazing woman, you know, she can be in any industry, healthcare, government, nonprofit, manufacturing, business to business, you name it, education, please nominate her. It's super simple on our website, a very easy online nomination form. Again, that's comgroup.com. So now let's talk about inspirational women. We are so incredibly inspired by all of you women of the world making a difference, wearing your cape, being superheroes. And I mean, today's guest is really a superhero and bringing your vision to the world. This week, our win inspiration and podcast guest is Dr. Chriselle Nash, MD, PhD, MH, and CH. I.e. She is the Medical Director for Health Equity and Public Programs at Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Nash. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Nash. I am so excited to get to know you. I want to know, we're just going to dive right in here. I want to, I want to get your elevator speech. We're going to sort of dig into a little bit more of Dr. Nash and I don't know, 800 million different things that you have your fingers on the pulse of. I'm really <laughs> excited about it. Okay, so we start with your sure. elevator speech. Sure. So I am currently Medical Director for Health Equity and Public Programs at Arkansas Blue Cross Blue Shield. And oftentimes I get asked a question, so exactly what does that mean, you know? And what does a doctor do in a health plan? And my response is that I bring a health equity framework to population health management and to the enterprise to ensure that everybody receives quality care. So in a nutshell, my whole life has been about health equity, both personally and professionally. Dang, that's a good elevator speech. Um, I'm impressed. I'm really impressed. Well, let me add this, that our our company is a longtime uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield customer, very happy, satisfied customer. So we get the Blueprint magazine that as a I don't know whether we are called subscribers or members or members. Yes. Members. Okay. As members, the the Blueprint magazine comes to our homes. And I feel like we would be doing a disservice if we didn't talk a little bit about your role and the voice that you had during the pandemic. Because you were the one of the first people I saw that I felt like spoke in like I don't know, like real language to real people about what was going on with the pandemic. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so let me tell you a little bit of the backstory. The backstory for me is that I've always been focused on poor and underserved communities and how to provide care for them over 20 years uh, of, of my career. And so when the pandemic was starting out, my colleagues and I, knew what the outcomes were going to be for minority and rural and people of color and low-income people. And my company and the CEO specifically asked me, okay, Dr. Nash, so what do we need to do? How can we be value added? And that really opened up an opportunity for me inside the health plan to work on my passion. So what you saw in Vaccinate the Natural State 
was an all hands on deck approach with an intention of health equity. Because in my mind, you can't say that you have a quality healthcare system or quality healthcare if it varies by where you are or who you are or your zip code. So that was the framework that we brought to vaccinate the natural state with an intention to have that real talk about the root causes and the root issues that the pandemic was uncovering. So I hope what you saw was not only a communication on the business level, right, to businesses and how to navigate the system, but to communities all across the state of Arkansas and particularly communities of color, Hispanic community, Marshallese community, the Delta. So that was part of my and fuels my passion. Oh, I did. I I would say I not only did I see it, but you managed to reach people who who may not have fallen into those categories, those harder to reach, uh, harder to communicate to categories. I think there was an article, and you please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there was an article in the blueprint when the vaccines came out. And obviously, this was about a year or more into the, or maybe less into the pandemic, and because I'm one of those nerdy people that like, I'm going to read, I'm going to read that blueprint magazine cover to cover every time it comes. Uh, But but there was an article about how it was like the, the actual mechanism of how the vaccine worked. And I think that you helped explain at some point, either you were quoted or you, it was first person, I can't remember, but you explained how the vaccine actually worked and you I think part of the messaging was to dispel some of the myths. myths. Yeah, the myths and the misperceptions around the vaccine. And I I took the magazine, folded it to that to that page, and I made my husband read it because it was so well communicated. And as a as a professional communicator, I genuinely appreciate when people can just sort of cut through all the jargon and get you know, to that. Comes, do you remember that? Do you remember that? Yeah, actually I do. And that comes from being a primary care doc. So for 15 years, I mean, my training is in internal medicine, primary care. And so what I did and what I always do is communicate in lay language. Now I'm a pointy head academic. I'm a geek. I read all this <laughs> stuff too. But at the end of the day, what does it really mean? And right. that's what you have to translate to people into in something that is you know, understandable. And the myths out there, you're right, were there and they're still there because they're historical and they're not just myths. People have good reason for being distrustful, right? So you have to bring the real message to people in a way that they understand and they're informed and then they can go forward and make a decision. Did you get feedback um, about your role during that? I'm, I'm curious if you if you heard from people about your role in the in the pandemic messaging. Yes, yes, and it's mostly been positive. Ninety nine point nine percent, yes, positive because people appreciate and I think feel the passion that not only I bring but all of us who were boots on the ground. I mean, I was doing everything from advocacy to driving down to, I think I went to Cotton Plant, Arkansas, and I was doing immunizations and I made it personal. I, I told people why I took the immunizations. You know, I remember, as I, yes. See, I remember that. I remember that. I don't remember the cotton plant part because you may not have yeah. talked about that, but I do <laughs> remember you talking about what made it important to you. Right, right. Because, you know, historically, when we think about health disparities or health inequities, poor communities have been not treated well in the healthcare system or in research. So a healthy skepticism, I'm not surprised about, right? I mean, I think I even talked about Tuskegee in the past, but Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. even before Tuskegee and after Tuskegee. But even with all of that, those men who were a part of that study changed the landscape of research in this country for forever. And there are protections. I'm not going to say it's perfect, but I had to go through that personal introspection that I was hoping everybody would. And I chose to take the vaccine and I wanted people to know that. I see. I love it. I think that was very effective messaging. And you're right. That passion is, we can't fake that. That's completely completely authentic. And that was just such a challenging time for everybody who had to communicate about anything. And I give a lot of credit to Blue Cross for 
putting you in that in that sort of spokesperson role where you really got to be you know you said boots on the ground going out actually giving vaccines I mean that's just a yeah that's that's a lot more than just talking about it and giving people exactly exactly and that was another point that I made to leadership and I, I really feel supported by this organization it's not just talk and lip service we are actually doing work that I hope will make a difference in local communities all across the company. What a great, isn't that a great job? Don't you love doing that? Being in a role to do that? I do. I do. I do. Now, now believe it or not, I'm a natural introvert. I don't believe it. Mm -mm. Nope. You're going to have to convince me. Definitely. (laughs) Had you told me years ago that our, when, or when I was a child, that I would be doing this, I would not have believed you. <laughs> that's so funny because I, I just, I find that hard to believe. Well, that's a great segue because usually one of my second questions is for you to tell us about your personal background, you know, like where you grew up, where you went to school yeah. and things like that. And then, then the follow-up question to that is going to be sort of the more professional um, okay. journey. So the, if you want to take that in two parts, the the personal part about, you know, growing up and how you got to where you did and then the, the professional. The okay. Part. I'll start with a little bit of the, the personal part. And I'm going to start at the very beginning because I think it's very important. I was born, I'm going to date myself publicly, 1968. So that was about four years after hospitals were desegregated. And I was a three pound, two ounce preemie. Oh, my. In Texarkana. Oh, my goodness. All right. So my grandmother has these stories of my or had these stories of my mother being afraid of me when I came home after months in what was then a NICU because I was so small. I was tiny. She could hold me in the palms of her hands. Like a kitten. Mm-mm. So, you know, when I look at all the statistics of what I'm supposed to be or not supposed to be, I'm incredibly privileged. I'm incredibly blessed to be here with you, talking with you and doing what I'm what I'm doing. Uh, my parents were teenagers in the South, rural South and poor. So and, and then here I am. So. As I told you, growing up, I was always kind of this weird kid, this kind of introvert. And I had a tight heel cord, which is Achilles tendon, which made me have a limp. And so I was always felt this other thing growing up. And what I realized when I fell into math and science, my parents were always very education oriented. I was a public school child. I'm a firm advocate for public schools, grew up here in Little Rock, Arkansas, though, at that time, and really just fell in love with puzzles and figuring things out, you know? And I remember one time when I was probably in high school, my father was working in state government at the time, and I remember this report that came out on, guess what, maternal health in the Delta. Sound familiar? Hmm. So I looked up my county where I was born, which was Miller County, and I saw that the infant mortality rate was worse than some third world countries. I was like, what is that about? And that's what my whole professional career has been about, from clinical practice to public health, to health policy, to now to community engagement and now in the health. So it's personal. It's It's personal. It's really personal. Three point two, three pounds, two ounces. That's incredible. Three pounds, two ounces. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So I'm I'm gonna jump in for just a second, and then I want you to tell us a little bit more about the professional background and the journey that um, got you here. I will confess to you that I knew all the letters behind your name, the MD, PhD, and MH. Except for the CHIE, I had to look that one up, and then I I would like to ask you. To tell us about that one. But before you do that, I was going to mention, I think I, I would be remiss if I did not mention that the our company, the communications group, has been very connected throughout our history to public health programs. And in fact, I, I want to say Blue Cross was actually a coalition member in what we, it was probably 10, well, it was less than 10 years ago, a campaign that we uh, managed called the Campaign for 
um, healthier babies, which was maternal and infant mortality reduction program. And it was just an incredible program that reached all 75 counties of the state. And then we also had immunization programs. We definitely, and, and the work continues, as you know. Okay, well, I am going to ask you to tell us about your professional background, your education, and, and the journey that, that got you here to where you are today. Surely, surely. Okay, so I was one of these kids from Arkansas. It's like, I'm leaving Arkansas, and I'm not coming back, right? You know, I'm, I'm you know, one of those kids. You always want to get away from home, get away from your parents. I ended up going to Rhodes College in Memphis, Tennessee, and got a degree in biology. And during that time, I decided I'm going to date myself again. I didn't know what I wanted to do in healthcare, and I thought I wanted to be a forensic pathologist. I think what they do, what they, the television shows about that now are like CSI. But when I was growing up, it was Quincy Medical Examiner. I don't know if you remember him. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, yes. Oh, yes, okay. I do. <laughs> but in any case, I ultimately through, through my career, tried to say, well, I'm going to be a scientist. I thought I was going to be a bench researcher. Oh, that was horrible. I was trying to clone cockroach DNA in medical in college. And I was like, okay, that's not what I want to do. Found out that I loved working with people. And that was what led me to medical school at the University of Maryland in Baltimore. Going through that process of where you're trying to figure out what type of doctor that you want to be, I had friends who would have these aha moments about surgery or about, and I passed out in the OR when I was in surgery. So that's not what I wanted to do. (laughs) But I found that it was primary care. I really enjoyed the continuity of that, the interactions with patients, and trying to figure out, put those puzzles together, that, that physical diagnosis and treatment to make people better. So I ended up doing primary care internal medicine at George Washington in my residency at George Washington in D.C. And at that time, we ran a free clinic as residents. And that free clinic was in Southeast D.C. This was before Southeast D.C. is what you know it as now. Now the waterfront is all, you know, gentrified and all perfect. Before then, it was a place where you didn't want to be. That's where we ran our clinic. And I will never forget this one woman that I met as a resident. I could feel a mass in her breast and I was trying to get her care, treatment for something that I knew was very bad. And I couldn't figure out how to do that. It's like, I can't see enough patients one by one. That got me upstream. That got me to public health. So I ended up at Harvard doing a master's in public health and a fellowship in minority health policy. And that opened up my world. And after that, I came home to work on issues of health and healthcare. Been practicing for 15 years at UMS, helped to build the College of Public Health, the Clinton School of Public Service, and all that stuff. And then finally, I had this bad perception or impression of health insurance companies. And somebody came to me and said, one of my colleagues said, you ought to think about Arkansas Blue Cross Blue Shield, Michelle. You ought to think about it. They chased me for three years, and I had the perception that a lot of people have about health insurance companies, but I'm going to tell you that on a day-to-day basis, I work with people who are doing everything they can to take care of people, and that and the community-based approach that we were doing at that time with case managers is what brought me to Blue Cross Blue Shield. So that's kind of the professional journey in a big nutshell. That is a, you said something there. Okay. That That is a wonderful story. And I didn't realize that you had been involved in the development of the College of Public Health. That is huge. That's massive. I um, remember when that was an idea, when that building wasn't even there on the campus. I remember when people were talking about it as a, it was almost like a pipe dream. Could we make this happen? Yep. And that's really exciting to know that you were a part of that. And I think of, I have a really dear friend who has a master's in public health and who is an associate dean at UAMS right now. And I think about that. And she was on a trajectory to be an attorney, actually. In fact, she, well, she is an attorney. She went to law school and passed the bar, but 
but her passion was a very similar to what you're talking about. And imagine if that school wasn't there. And exactly, exactly. All the professionals so, that wouldn't be out in the world working to, you know, improve public health and bridge that public health divide. I um, I heard you say something, and this is where I started this. I heard you say this. And I've heard, I think I've heard you say it twice now, which I, I want you to explain. You were talking about being upstream of uh-huh. issues. What, what does that mean? Good question. Good question. So I, when I say upstream, the analogy that I use oftentimes is, and actually this is what I, uh, an analogy that was used in school many years ago with me, you see kids floating down a river, right? And they can't swim. You're jumping in the river to try to save them, right? And there's not a, there, you're one person or you're two people, but you still see people coming down the river. You can't save them all. Somebody should ask the question, well, why are people, why are babies in the river, right? Okay, well, let's look up and see what's going on up on the bridge. Is the problem that there's no uh, railing on the bridge, okay? And people are falling off because there's no railing or people speeding by getting upstream. So what I mean is continuing to ask why and to get earlier and earlier in the process. Uh, That's a great analogy. I love that. I love it. And it makes me completely understand it. Yep. So that's what I mean by, even when I was in school, I remember and found out that this equity thing was my passion. When I came home, people would say, well, oh, you want to be the disparities doctor for diabetes or the cancer disparities doctor or the cardiovascular disease disparity doctor. Now I'm a general internist, so I have a, a, a wide skill set, but I see the commonalities mm. in all of that. So when I say get upstream in a health equity framework, I'm saying, well, quality health care is a piece, right? Access to health care is a piece, but the conditions that you live in, what we now call social determinants of health matters, right? But when you get upstream from that, policy matters, mm-hmm. right? And all these isms that we talk about, whether we're talking about racism, sexism, whatever, that drives those policies matter. So that's my big picture when I say get upstream. That's a great explanation for that. That's wonderful. I also, I was going to tell you one of the ways that I ended up at this company because my background is in healthcare as well. In fact, I worked at Children's Hospital before um, I came here. And before that, I worked at investor-owned hospital called, well, it was HCA was the company that owned it. It It's called Doctors Hospital here. And so I have a lot of background, but I came to this agency to help launch the Our Kids First program. Yes, And, you know, one of the and I'm very proud of that because I, at the time, I did not realize how vision forward Arkansas was in the children's health insurance program mm-hmm. and what a difference that made in the lives of a family. So when you talk about getting upstream and, and policy decisions that oh, impact those upstream issues, I, I think of Our Kids First as, as one of those programs. And I, I exactly. feel like very proud of the state for having the vision and the courage to take that on because that was a massive mm-hmm. you know, federal program partnership with the state. I I get it now. In fact, when I, I I bet you, I bet you, I will steal that analogy and I will repeat <laughs> it because it's such a good way to describe describe what you're doing and the impact of public health. Well, yeah, let me ask yeah. you another question. So. A lot of the women in industry that we talk to um, on this podcast, they credit somebody in their career journey that had a huge impact on their career, getting them to where they are. For some people, it's not necessarily a person, it's an event. And you described some of that. Um, I love the story about you passing out in the OR. That's pretty funny. (laughs) But but is is there somebody um, that helped you get to where you are today? So, you know... Definitely, yes, because I, I'm a firm believer that you never do anything by yourself. People who, who think that they're a lone warrior, they really aren't. And there are pieces of different people that have definitely done that for me. Of course, you know, at starting at home with my father and his policy background uh, and community development, my mother 
always being a community service type person. I remember growing up and she had started this organization called Black Female Action. And I remember as a child, them having elected officials come and talk to them to garner their vote. And I was a baby at this time. I mean, I was in in preschool. So that was very instrumental for me in terms of community and policy. And now connecting that to health, I would say one of the key people is someone that that you probably know, as we've already talked about the, the beginnings of the College of Public Health, and that's Dr. Tom Bruce. He was the inaugural dean for the College of Public Health. He was a former dean of the College of Medicine. But this man really saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. I could see that in hindsight. He would give me opportunities to stretch and to grow and give me responsibility to do things. Now, at the time, I was young and not so quite so insightful. And I thought, well, he's only asking me to do this because I'm free labor. <laughs> because I like him. But no, he was grooming me. And he had been a mentor for me for years over time. And then the other person I will say who has been incredibly instrumental is, of course, Dr. Jocelyn Elders, former Surgeon General of the United States, a staunch advocate, public health, teen pregnancy. She is just absolutely Mm -hmm. amazing. And she has been, I actually met her when I was 14 years old. And I was in her office doing a summer program. And that was the first time I had ever in my life seen a Black medical student. But she and was I a said, powerhouse, wasn't she? Oh, my exactly. gosh. She's an amazing woman. And she was the attending. And she was telling the folks what they were to do. And I was like, I want to wow. do that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, you know, what's funny. You mentioned her and Dr. Bruce, after whom there's actually Arkansas Health Impact Award named mm-hmm. now. But Dr. Elders, she was on the founding coalition of the Campaign for Healthier Babies and was mm-hmm. very involved in maternal yeah, ch- mm-hmm. child health and, and infant reduction in infant mortality. That was a huge concern of hers. But, um, oh, gosh, she was such an amazing. She's so, is so amazing. She's incredible. She is amazing. She's doing well. She's on speed dial. I have to make sure she's taken care of. You know? uh, yes, I know. I don't mean to talk about her like she's not around anymore, but she, um, they, but I don't, I don't personally work with her anymore. But how, yeah. how cool is that, that you got to have that yeah. experience? Well, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty significant. Well, so be- I'm going to, before we head off to a break, uh, we're going to, I am going to ask you one more question, but one of the things I noted in a conversation that you had with our producer was you said, health equity is in my DNA. And I, as I found you, as you were talking about your dad helping to found the Community Health Foundation and your mom creating this organization that helped educate the electorate in your community, I, you said they were teenage parents and these people, your parents went on to change the world, even while you were a baby and change the landscape in the country. That's pretty incredible. Well, yeah, yeah. Dad is dad is dad and mom they're still going and they um it's 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 humbling it's humbling to think of the shoulders that you stand on does that make sense yes well when you said health equity is in my dna that was really sort of where i I connected those dots i thought oh my gosh it really is you know you've You've got, yeah, you can't escape it. Even if you tried, you probably couldn't, you couldn't escape it. Okay. Well, this is my last question before we go to a break. What is it? I mean, you have a, you have a very broad title and you were talking about being a generalist and a, what does a typical day in your life look like? (laughs) That is an excellent question. And it is, it's never the same. Let me say. I have a broad skill set, and what I realized is that I enjoy that range. So on a day-to-day basis, I may be doing advocacy out in community. I may be working to build partnerships around whatever initiative that we're talking about. But also internally, I may be informing our and leading our internal strategy and policy change all the way down to individual, we call them members. As a, as a clinician, I call them patients. 
individual patient matters all the way down to claims. So on a day-to-day basis, my plate is full across that gamut. And the way that I know it's my passion is because even when I'm tired, even when I don't want to get out of bed in the morning sometimes, Mm -hmm. and that's okay, I still love what I do. That's almost the textbook definition. We talk about that around here a lot about we call them your unique abilities. And we talk about how it's one of the, your passions are, are those things that you do, you put your head down and you sort of lose track of time and they give you energy that even when you're tired, you do sort of look forward to them and, mm-hmm. and you just get immersed in them. I think that's, you're so fortunate to be in a position like that where you, you do get to kind of get your hands in a little bit of everything. Do you miss clinical practice? Oh my goodness. Yes. I do. Because I still sometimes I still see some some patients that I used to have, you know, out in community. And they uh-huh. always go, oh, when are you going back to clinical practice? And I kind of have to say, well, not so sure. But yes, I do miss I do miss that hands on. But I have to remind myself that I'm also having a larger impact now when I think about population health. Mm -hmm. and working in the largest private insurer in the state of Arkansas. Yeah, you're upstream. You're you're like, yep, you're leading the charge for upstream. Well, I, again, I'm so, feel so privileged to be having this conversation with you. And it's time for us to take a quick break. Stay tuned as we hear more from Dr. Chriselle Nash. She is the medical director for health equity and public programs at Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And we will be right back. On the award-winning Women in Industry podcast, we honor women who inspire action, achieve success, excel in their field, and encourage the next generation of women to follow in their footsteps. If you have an inspirational woman in your life, your coworker, your wife, your sister, your friend, or anyone else you know, please nominate them to be a guest on the WIN podcast. You can find the nomination form listed in the show notes of this episode. Okay, we're back, and it's time for Rapid Fire. Rapid fire is if you listen to this podcast regularly, you know, this is one of my favorite parts of the podcast. And I think uh, one of the reasons that I love it is because this, a lot of times this is where our guests sort of real personality comes to light. And we learn really interesting things about our guests that we probably did not know in any of our previous or pre-production conversations. And we don't send the questions to our guests in advance. They're all a surprise. So rapid fires just for fun. There aren't really any right or wrong answers. We're just going to fire a few questions at you. Some of them are weird. Some not so weird. Okay, so that's supposed to take down my anxiety, right? Yes, yes. But (laughs) what I was going to tell you was that you just say the first thing that comes to mind. But some of these questions actually have a little bit of a backstory and I would love for you to feel free to elaborate once you've provided your answer. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. First rapid fire question. What's the best find you've ever had at Harbor Freight? I love Harbor Freight. The, uh, paint sprayer. Okay. See, that's awesome. Now, why am I asking this why am I asking this physician medical director about Harbor Freight you have to tell the story okay so Harbor Freight I am a closet DIYer now I have a lot of DIY projects that I have more projects than I have finished Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I like to go to Harbor Freight and buy tools because you know I'm only going to see the tool I'm only going to use them one or two times maybe and then I have to call somebody else to finish whatever it is I'm trying to do (laughs) So I make a regular trip to Harbor Freight. Harbor Freight. I love it. Love it. I love Harbor Freight too, which is uh, why I had to ask you about that. Paint sprayer. That's pretty good. That's a good one. Okay. Are you a coffee or a tea person? Coffee. Excellent. All right. We can continue our conversation then. Okay. Best tip for someone who wants to learn how to knit. That's a good one. Best tip. DYI. That's what I did. Long time ago, actually, I don't know, I, I remember exactly when it was. I'm this person that likes to figure things out. So I saw some little knitting kit, how to knit, you teach yourself in a store. I picked it up. And back in 2009, I taught myself to knit. Now, my passion, my dream is when I retire, I'm going to do Crochelle's creations. I want to design. Haven't gotten that part yet. 
but I make sweaters. Oh my gosh. I make a bunch of stuff. And my family says, well, you don't make stuff for us. I'm like, no, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. Exactly. They talk about me. They go, oh, old people knit. I'm like, yeah. Oh, and? <laughs> no, that's a knitting is like all the it's a thing now. In fact, it I see is. when I travel for work, I see people in the airport knitting. I mean, yeah. I see I see people waiting in waiting rooms knitting. OK, so your tip for somebody who wants to learn how to knit is just DIY. Just DIY. Get out there and do it. YouTube, YouTube videos. Yep, YouTube. OK. Mm-hmm. All right. Good deal. OK. Vacations. When you think about vacations, are you a, a mountains or a, a water, a beach person? I am a beach person. All right. Give me a beach any day. Yep. Same. I'm, I'm all about some water. All right. One of, what's one of the biggest health misperceptions about our state? I think a misperception about our state is that we're always behind. Mm-hmm, we have mm-hmm. a lot of innovation and potential for innovation in this state. There's a perception that, you know, everybody leaves. No, no, we have innovation and we have forward thinkers and people who are doing incredible things every day. We really do. I would have to agree with you there. I'm always pretty impressed and inspired really by some of the the innovation is particularly in health that we see here. Okay, here's your last rapid fire question. And then I'm going to turn you over to Hannah for the next section. But if you could make one rule that and I'm going to answer, I'm going to tell you what my answer is, and then you can tell me what your answer is. If you could make one rule that everyone had to follow for the day, what would it be? And I'm going to tell you what mine is. Mine is just for the love of God and all things holy, I would make everybody use their turn signals. <laughs> That's what I would do. Okay, now what would you do if you could oh, do? What would I do? What would I do if I could make one rule for people? Oh, I would love for people to listen more than they speak. Oh, that's a good one. That's what I would love. Just as a general rule. That's a great one. Okay, that's awesome. Okay, you survived. You survived rapid fire. Thank you ever so much. We didn't stump you. (laughs) Now I'm going to turn you over for the second, the next segment of our podcast to Hannah. Thank you, Lisa. Dr. Nash, I actually realized that you are maybe my sole person because I also want to get into knitting. My dream is to create a sweater vest for myself. So I might have to try out these DIY projects like you say too. Oh yeah, you can do that. Also going to be your first customer for Chriselle's creation. So whenever that gets started, I must be the first person you call. Definitely. Definitely. (laughs) So Dr. Nash, as the medical director of health equity and and public programs at Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shields, you had mentioned that you're responsible for leading the company's efforts to address the health disparities within the state. And you touched on this a little bit earlier with Lisa, but What really drove you to transition from clinical practice to your current role? Was there a specific turning point that really drove you to your career path now? Yeah. So, yes, for me to pursue my passions where I was, I was at UMS for 15 plus years. I had multiple academic appointments, and then I was also medical director for the Arkansas Minority Health Commission many, many years ago. And that mixture there allowed me to mix the different skill sets that I had, but I had four different bosses and four different, you know, things going on all the time. And, and it had gotten to a point where I could not be as productive there as I wanted to be. And then this opportunity, a health plan, and to bring all of those skill sets from clinical to public health, to policy, to systems in one spot is in hindsight what happened. It didn't feel like that at the time, but I think that really was the turning point and my aha moment because I had this perception of a health plan, you know, like the movies. I don't know if you guys remember that Denzel Washington movie where, you know, he he puts the whole hospital on lockdown because his son can't get treatment, that type of thing. I had that type of negative view of health plans, but that is not the case. 
that is not the case from this industry. And so as I made that transition from individual patient care and population health, I also realized that the policies with a small p that organizations, that health plans make and perpetuate are incredibly important. So again, it was me getting upstream. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. What would you say the most surprising part about your transition getting into this side of healthcare? What would you say that was? The most surprising part? Yes. Was that there are cadres, groups of people who are interacting with members, patients daily to make sure that they get the care that they need. And I understand now from this side, the the inner workings of that. I didn't understand that before. And I didn't, to be honest with you, I didn't know that before as a healthcare provider. And can you kind of talk about, you mentioned this earlier with Lisa about the misconceptions you had about health insurance companies before you joined Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shields. Can you talk to us about that? Sure, sure. You know, just as a, as a general statement, when we're talking about health and health care and health equity, I think that there are multiple stakeholders that have to be at the table to address these issues. And health plans are one of them because health plans are about improving health care quality and decreasing costs and member experience, right? We want people to have a positive experience and not only be worried, you know, when when you have a claim, we want to help keep you healthy. And that to me is what a health plan should be doing and what we are doing. And we are very customer focused. And that comes through in a lot of different ways from care management or case management, where we have nurses that work internally to help patients. We have pharmacists that work internally. We have a lot of different clinicians that are working not only with patients, but with providers. Because as you know, this healthcare industry, this arena is is changing and the pace of change is even faster. So for me, the health plan in all of its different functions is focused on those three things, right? Improved quality, improved care, and improved member experience and decreased costs because we need to make sure that everyone has has healthcare. So those are the things that I have learned and have, have learned more about. And I will say my misconception early on was like most people's, well, health insurance plans just are just there to deny, to deny claims. That's not what I was told when I was hired at Arkansas Blue Cross Blue Shield on day one. So I'm going to ask you just a couple more questions before I pass this back over to Lisa for her to wrap us up. But what advice would you give the general public about how they view health insurances? First, let me say that health insurance is very confusing, even for me as a healthcare provider. My own health insurance is confusing, okay? Let's just be clear. But I think that the general public needs to see a health insurance plan as a partner in their health care and not an adversary. And we have resources. Reach out to your health insurance plans. There are resources to help you navigate a system, that's the, the crazy system that's constantly changing. That's what I would tell people. And then for my final question, before we give this back over to Lisa, you mentioned in a previous conversation that you were a part of the KABF Community Radio Board. Mm -hmm. And how would community radio, how does that impact effective messaging in community health? And what are some of the best practices for effectively communicating about community health? That's a great question. I am a new board member and I'm honored to be working with KABF. I have had interaction with the leaders there over years because as at UMS, I taught a course, one of my colleagues on racial and ethnic health disparities. And we kind of talked about the whole course is about that upstream thing that I talked about earlier. But in that communication is critical. So when we're working with communities and you're communicating health messages, number one, the messenger matters. 
and the, the language matters and the context matters. So a community radio station that is owned and, and driven by local people can start to bridge that gap. That's why I'm so excited about being on the board of, of KABF and communicate those messages, but it's also community driven, right? It's not just a top down or I should not assume that I know everything about a community. Community partners, true community members are expert in their experience and in their community. And the radio station gives voice to that. And that voice is what needs to be heard and listened to improve health. Does that make sense? Yes, that does. And I love how simply you broke that down, that the language, message, and context matters and that it's community driven. And I think that's, like you said, the language, message, and context for any messaging that is very important. I was just going to say, I have had a great time talking with you today and getting to know you even more. And I'm going to pass you back over to Lisa to wrap us out. Feel sad. I'm almost sad that we're we're gonna have to wrap up this conversation because I just I feel like we could continue this for another hour, but I know that's not a possibility. So in the effort to be respectful of your time, I have I think two two yeah okay I'm gonna I'm gonna shave a couple questions off. I'm gonna ask you two though. Now the the title of this podcast is Women in Industry and it's designed to you know celebrate amazing, incredible, inspiring women and I you know, as a, as a woman in a, in an entrepreneurial business, I have really seen in the last two, five, you know, several years, women's influence in the workplace has changed very dramatically. And I'm really interested in your thoughts, which is a a slight shift away from uh, what we were talking about earlier, but what, what are your, your thoughts about women's influence in the workplace? A lot of different thoughts that I will try to encapsulate. I, I, like you, I have seen a lot of change in recent years. I I really see increasing influence, inclusive women of color, black and brown women, especially in these crisis times that we have been moving through over the last two or three years. I have seen women step up and lean in. There's increasing leadership also, but we still have more work to do, right? Because we still know that Women make 77 cents on a dollar, I think, that a man makes. I think we still have gains to make in corporate leadership. But if I if I step back and even think larger, the pandemic has taught us that this workspace, I've always worked, so I don't know what not working is, but this workspace can be adapted to bring the best out of all of us, including women. We know women build great teams. Women lean in, in, they advance diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I'll tell you, just on a personal level, I work with some women who have kids, they have a husband, they're taking care of parents, and they lean in at work. It's absolutely amazing what women are capable of. And I think that is a, a market that makes good business sense. So I think those companies and those industries that pay attention to that and that mentor women and give them a path forward will will do better in the marketplace. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh, I could I don't even think I could have said that better myself. I would have used about a hundred more words, but yes, that is a <laughs> such a good way to say that. It does make good business sense, and it is it is. I feel like that is sort of one of the pandemic silver linings. You know, when we reflect on that, it is we have seen as you said, women really, really step up. I like the way you describe that. Okay. One final question. What is one message you'd like to share with our listeners as we wrap up today? I think, and I'll be honest, I'm probably saying this to myself too. Let's just be clear that I think (laughs) we as women need to remember how awesome we are Mm. collectively. I think that we forget that sometimes. I think, and we allow other people to forget that sometimes. And I will say that even in times of setback or frustration or whatever, just remember that that setback is a setup for your next success. Ah, that's so wonderful. That was just fantastic. What a great sentiment, a great thought, a message to share 
as we wrap up. Uh, so good. Dr. Chriselle Nash, thank you so much for joining the communications group today for our Women in Industry podcast. We are so inspired by you. We wish you continued success on your professional journey. And we thank you for the time that you carved out of your busy schedule. Thank you so much. Thank you. Please check out our Women in Industry page on comgroup.com to see more incredible and absolutely inspirational women like Dr. Chriselle Nash of Blue Cross Blue Shield. You can find stories from other inspiring women on our WIN pages on our website and on our WIN podcast platforms on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And while you're in that favorite podcast app, please rate, review, subscribe, whatever it is you want to do. But most importantly, share it with your friends. We have, uh, oh my gosh, so many great conversations with incredible women here on the WIN podcast. And now we're going to leave you with some homework. Please nominate that inspiring woman in your industry for recognition. There are just so many women out there making a difference. I mean, really making a difference in the world. The nomination form is on our website. Again, that's comgroup.com. This is Lisa Van Hook from the Communications Group here with my guest co-host, the extraordinary Hannah Phillips, saying thank you so much for joining us. Keep on inspiring, and we will see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us in this week's episode of The Win Podcast. The Women in Industry Podcast is presented by the Communications Group to celebrate professional women and their achievements. For more information about today's guest and others like her, or to nominate a woman in industry for recognition, click on over to comgroup.com. Join in on The Win Conversation by visiting The Win social channels on Instagram or Facebook. Or check out our Com Group social channels on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The Win Podcast is hosted by Com Group Executive Vice President Lisa Van Hook and PR Director Carson Horn, and produced by Cassie Booker. To learn more about how the Communications Group can help you achieve your business goals, contact us today at infocomgroup.com. At